Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Many of us spent the better part of the last pandemic year taking pains to avoid illness by minimizing interactions with people outside of what our jobs or needs demanded. But now with most venues reopened, many vaccinated adults have more chance to meet new people and chat at length again. And journalist Joe Kahane says that's exactly what we should do. His new book is The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World. Joe Kahane, welcome to Forum. Thank you, Mina. Thank you for having me on. Well, glad to have you here. And to start, how would you describe, generally, I mean, our discomfort with talking to strangers these days after more than a year of being wary and social distancing and so on? Oh, there are lots of words that come to mind. Um, (laughs) Complicated would be one of them. Intense would be the other. Um, It's funny because, you know, I did a deep dive through a lot of research into this, what keeps us from talking to strangers and um, what happens when we do. And it's pretty common, borderline universal, um, you know, in America particularly, but around the West, to just be really anxious about having interactions with strangers. Um, This happens for a host of reasons, anything from kind of, you know, being subjected to stranger danger propaganda when you're a kid for, you know, in a pretty intensive way to fears that you won't know how to do it or the people won't like you or you won't know what to say. Um, all that stuff um, really adds up to, to quite an impediment when it comes to getting people to interact with people they don't know. Um, COVID makes things even more complicated because we have been regarding strangers as potential, car- or potential carriers of deadly disease for like a year and a half now, and that's a tough habit to get out of. So you have both of those factors working against you at this point. Yes, that is very, very true. And then at the same time, it's like we've developed all these ways to not have to engage with people. I was just at, uh, I just took a short road trip and stayed at a hotel. And I was really struck that I had the option of not engaging with any hotel staff whatsoever, not checking in at the desk, going straight to my room, all of that kind of stuff. And it feels like a lot of that is proliferated and is being championed right now. It totally is. Um, You know, the genesis of this book came in part from this epiphany I had about how I had begun to live, which is um, that at a certain point, I realized that I had eliminated like an entire category of social interaction from my day to day life. Like I just stopped talking to strangers. And so I kind of wondered why that had happened, because I used to kind of do it a little bit, you know, not all the time, but enough to enjoy it. And, and understand that it's, it's sort of beneficial in a way that I hadn't been able to articulate. Um, but a big part of it was just technology. Like I didn't have to talk to people. You don't have to talk to the pizza guy. You don't have to like stop someone in the street to get directions anymore. You can do everything on your phone. Um, and so what we've gained in terms of efficiency, we've lost in terms of like opportunities to socialize with people that we don't know. Um, and as the research has shown, that's actually, um, that could be quite damaging. 
So we've come out of a pandemic. We've got lots of tools and now additional tools to not have to engage with people. So as you say, it will likely be difficult probably to get past some of the justifiable habits that have emerged during the pandemic year. Also, right now, the news is building about the Delta variant, so that's also a cloud as well. But Joe Kahane, you say that we really should and need to make the effort to engage with strangers. Why? What can you tell us about what you've learned about the benefits? Yeah, some of it cuts to to what David Moses said so eloquently in the previous mm-hmm. um, the previous story that speech is fundamental to who we are. And why is speech fundamental to who we are? Because we're social creatures, right? We require um, socializing. We require social contact. Um, the way we do that is by speaking to one another. That's the that's the way that we get a sense of who these other people are. Um, but the research and and this is you know this hasn't been studied for very long, it's only in the last 15 years or so, but psychologists are beginning to find that there are many benefits to just having like even a potent, even a, even a fleeting interaction with a stranger. Um, and what they've found is that it makes people feel happier. It makes people feel like they belong. It makes people feel connected to the places where they live. You know, if practiced with enough regularity, it can make you feel more trusting, more optimistic. And the reason why you see these effects is because it actually tends to go well, like despite everybody's hangups about talking to strangers, which again, are, are the product of a very complicated cocktail of things. Um, the research shows that these these interactions tend to go pretty well. They tend to go positively. When we fear that we're going to be rejected, people in these studies tend not to be rejected. And some of these studies have been done on like the subway, like the tube in London, which is like the, you know, if all, if there's ever a place in the world that no one's allowed to talk to strangers, like the tube in London is the one, but, um, but Juliana Schroeder and Nicholas Epley, who are you know, two American psychologists conducted experiments on the tube in London and sent people out to speak to strangers. And they found that people were open to talking to them, that they enjoyed it, that the conversations went longer than they expected them to. And that they made their their commutes a little more pleasant than they had been in the first place. So, you know, we don't necessarily have an accurate, an ability to accurately predict how these interactions are going to go. And that keeps us from having them. And then when we don't have them, we lose these benefits that we can gain from having them on a, you know, on a regular basis. Hmm. We're talking about why it's good for us to talk with strangers with Joe Kahane, a journalist and author. Kahane's new book is The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World. And I want to open the phones and ask you, our listeners, do you enjoy talking to strangers? Do you avoid talking to strangers? Or maybe you want to share a memorable time when you connected with a stranger. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, and you can email us, forum at kqed.org. And this listener writes, last month after a long travel day across the country, which delayed flights and flying solo with my three kids, one of my four-year-olds just couldn't handle it anymore and broke down after wetting his pants. A very nice lady pointed out a cat in a cat carrier to distract him. The owner of the cat let my kids pet it. The cat owner and kind lady, a former teacher, were both so sweet to me and my kids, and we all talked about how hard the past year has been on little ones. The former teacher pointed out that we have asked so much of our kids, and they have stepped up in a remarkable way, facing each challenge we've imposed upon them. It sounds like they really had a lovely interaction there. I don't know if you have any reactions to this encounter uh, based on things that you learned doing your book, Joe Kahane. Yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful story. Um, you know, like one of the, one of the, the terms that 
um, people who study these interactions use is triangulation. And what triangulation is, is you're both, both experiencing something at the same time. So you might both be watching like a band play on the street. Um, but the coronavirus was also an opportunity for triangulation because everyone in the world had something in common, right? And the big fear that people have about talking to strangers is that you won't know what to talk about. That's like paralyzing for people. But we've all gone through this. This is a pandemic. This affected everybody. So you know, you absolutely know that everyone will have something to say about it. And you also have a sense of empathy for that other person because you know that they had a hard time just like you had a hard time. So it lowered a lot of those barriers. Like that was sort of the paradox of, the coronavirus is that it threw up all these walls in terms of like what we could do in the physical proximity of other people, but it lowered a lot of the inhibitions and a lot of the kind of mental blocks that people had against talking to one another. Um, but I think that's a really beautiful story. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, let me go to caller Cassandra in Berkeley. Hi, Cassandra. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, this has been a really enlightening conversation. and just want to say thank you because um, my interaction with strangers is actually in relation to my father, who's 82. He lives in Southern California. My mom passed away. And his daily interaction with strangers is so important to his life because he doesn't have a huge community around him. And so his, like, daily interactions with, like, you know, walking and saying hello and meeting new people. And there's something here that just reflects so deeply in how I live in the Bay Area. And there is this sort of, like, uh, I don't know, um, reticence around saying hi to strangers. Yeah. And then whereas the older community who really rely on that, I think, in other ways. Thank you for sharing that, Cassandra. I love what you're saying about how they rely on that. And I can just imagine your dad at 82 walking around saying hi to people in Southern California. I guess one of the things that it's reminding me of, Joe Kahane, is that you also looked at the fact that People feel invigorated after a good conversation, but but why? Like how it actually affects their brain, right? Yeah, yeah. So on a on a biochemical level, and this is basically like a hypothesis, right? Because people haven't done actual research on this, but a, a leading expert in oxytocin um, said that he thought that this is probably this could probably be true, right? Without actually having tested it in the lab. But oxytocin is the chemical that our body produces um, when we bond with somebody, right? So it's generated when mothers nurse their infants, right? It bonds people together. And when you look someone in the eyes, when you have like a, you know, kind of an intimate moment, or you have like a meaningful interaction, it can trigger the release of oxytocin. And oxytocin is a relaxant. Oxytocin makes you feel calm. So, you know, one of the puzzles that I set out to solve when I was doing this book was um, drawn from my own experience, where I felt that when I did have a positive interaction with a stranger, and I should say that almost every interaction I had over the course of years doing this book was positive, but I always felt kind of relieved and kind of calm and like I had a little bit of a buzz from it. Um, and I think part of that, you know, could likely be a biochemical response to, to having this sort of interaction, which is pretty cool to think about it because it tells you something about human nature, um, that we can have a really profound like physical reaction to what otherwise could be a nice little chat with the guy who runs the, who owns the fruit stand. You know what I mean? Like things that we don't, we don't necessarily believe that those interactions are that powerful, but they actually can be particularly if like Cassandra's father, um, you don't have a lot of like primary relationships around you at all times. Like this becomes, these sorts of interactions become like your social food in a way they keep you healthy. They keep you connected to the places where you live. It's, it's really beneficial. Well, thanks again, Cassandra, for sharing that story. Kevin tweets, I met a man at the whiskey bar of the hotel The Shining is based on. We were both alone, drinking in the middle of the day. He asked how I got so far from home. It was work. And I found out it was his birthday, and no one in his family wanted to see him. 
He bought me the finest glass of scotch I've ever had as I listened to his life story. I think about him now. God, I am so struck by how this person shared with our commenter that no one in his family wanted to see him. It feels like a pretty intimate thing to share. Is there like a safety in the anonymity you think of strangers? Oh, without question. Yeah, there, there's a there's a body of research on this. Um, and what psychologists call it is the stranger on a train phenomenon. And it's basically that when we have a conversation with a stranger, and we have to warm up to this point, right? You can't just dump something super intimate on like the guy sitting next to you on the bus, he's going to think that you're crazy. And the whole point of talking to strangers is to demonstrate as quickly as possible that you are not crazy. But when you have those interactions, like if you're on a, if you're on a plane, if you're sitting in a bar, and you do find the conversation can go to pretty intimate stuff that you might not be entirely comfortable sharing in public to another person. And the thinking behind it is there's no paper trail, right? You're probably not going to see this person again. I mean, you certainly might become friends, which is great. Um, and that helps you stay healthy as well. But for the most part, this conversation is just going to disappear into space. It's just going to go into the ether. It's not like if you confessed something, and I'm not saying confess a crime or something like that, but something kind of sensitive. If you confess something to a friend in a moment where you just felt like intense intimacy, you might regret it later because then that thing is just going to be in the air every time you see that friend they're going to remember it right whereas when you talk to a stranger there's this kind of mutual agreement uh, unspoken agreement that whatever is said here is just not going to make it out into the permanent record and that's really yeah. freeing for people yeah well let me go to caller francine in marin hi francine hi thanks so much for having yeah. me on I'm really enjoying this conversation. I really, because I feel that conversation, particularly with strangers, is one of the things that is really missing from my culture. I live on a boardwalk out in Moran, and so you have to park in the parking lot and walk down to my house, which is almost like a third of a mile down. And so you have to pass by all these houses along the way. And most of the residents that are here are in their 70s. Um, and during the pandemic, that really was this ability to connect to people that we could not have done had we lived in a different situation. Mm. Um, people could come out on their laterals and we would walk by and we could have conversations with people. And in any other situation, people would have been so isolated and we would have felt isolated. You know, I have three kids and growing up on the boardwalk and having these interactions with our neighbors every day has created a level of ability to have conversations that people are continuously astounded by. Um, my kids can talk to anyone, and I encourage it, and I'm amazed often at how difficult it is for even adults to engage with them. Um, it kind of takes them a while because they're stunned because so few young people will walk up to an adult and have a conversation with them. Yeah. Um, and I really – and I think this is a skill that is so um, so missing, and I'm so excited to, to hear this conversation. Francine, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad you've had such a positive experience, and you really raise – well, it's reminding me of what you said earlier about that we have a cocktail of reasons, joking, that we struggle with engaging with people that we don't know or strangers. Can can we sort of talk about what is in that cocktail? You mentioned the sort of the stranger danger phenomenon that we were taught that a lot. And you mentioned in your book, the 80s and 90s, we were sort of seized by these media reports constantly of like, kidnappings and other things like that, that really freaked people out. But what are the other reasons that it has become hard? And it was hard even before the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think we've been withdrawing from each other for decades, right? I think the, the pandemic accelerated something that was already well underway. Um, 
yeah, I mean, there, it's, it's such an interesting question because there are so many things that keep us apart. Um, the stranger danger stuff, definitely. There, there's research that shows that that might have eroded people's social trust. If you don't trust other people, you, you might be more hesitant to speak to them. Um, that's definitely a thing. A lot of it just comes to like personal capabilities. It's people who feel that they're not going to know how to do it. They worry that people aren't going to like them. They worry that they'll have nothing interesting to say. They definitely worry about social norms. So worrying that this is not permitted, you know, so like talking to someone on the subway, like there's, there's a pretty hardened social norm concerning conversations with strangers on the subway that most people honor. They don't feel comfortable doing it. They don't feel comfortable violating that social norm. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm sorry, I missed the caller's name, but to, to her point, and that's a really beautiful story too, and I love it, about the boardwalk, um, physical space can play into it too. A, a really good public space that's like an egalitarian space where everybody feels like they belong there, everyone feels that they have a right to be there, those sorts of spaces can actually facilitate um, interactions between strangers. Um, that can happen in a place like a, you know, a waterfront town that has a good public boardwalk where people see each other and they can see each other regularly too, which is good. That's kind of reassuring, but it's an open space and people feel comfortable. You know, maybe they feel relaxed because of proximity to the water. They feel comfortable talking to each other. Um, you can also find those public spaces in the city too. Um, there's a, there's a, some great work by a sociologist named Elijah Anderson at Yale, who um, writes of the cosmopolitan canopy, which is like those perfect little urban public spaces where everyone is kind of equal in a way. Um, so like I live in New York, like Bryant Park would be a good example of that, where people feel calm, safe, and they feel like they can talk to each other. Um, so place definitely plays a really key role here. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't mean to discount um, bigger social factors like class divides, racial divides, gender prejudice, that stuff too can obviously throw up roadblocks between interactions, between people who, who might otherwise want to interact with each other. Yeah, well, this listener tweets, very early in the pandemic when streets were empty, I was taking a walk and met a woman out walking far from her neighborhood. We started to part several times, drifted back to chat, finally parted with, well, see you around. I looked back and waved. It was like a bad romantic movie, but we were just two scared people, this old white woman and young Asian woman walking the scarily empty streets, connecting, then floundering at how to keep the connection going. I still think of her often some 16 months later. Um, I, I love this story because it, it sort of gets at the, the awkwardness that I think you were describing earlier, but how even the awkward interaction was still profound and stayed with this listener. <laughs> Yeah, you realize that these sorts of interactions aren't, they're not the exception. They're the rule in terms of mental health for human beings. Like we need to connect with people. And what the coronavirus made very clear is how badly we need that, you know? Um, so someone going out in the street and seeing another person and just needing to have that connection with them and, and feeling kind of embarrassed about it because we're not supposed to need this. No one ever tells you that we need this sort of thing. Um, but feeling settled, feeling good, like feeling better about your situation. Um, that was definitely something that I hear a lot from people who lived, especially in cities during the coronavirus. Um, those little interactions were hugely important. I mean, my wife and, and my four-year-old daughter and I were walking um, through Manhattan um, kind of in the summer of last year and I, I'm from Boston so I was wearing a Red Sox hat and an older guy came over and he was just like oh are you are you visiting New York like just started talking to me immediately and you know I'm always game so I, I just chatted with him a while and he started admitting that like he's kind of embarrassed he's sorry that he's talking to me and if he's talking too fast he apologizes but huh. he's just been really lonely and he's having a hard time he lives in a one-bedroom apartment near Central Park um, and he's struggling and he so he's like he keeps asking us about ourselves and talking about himself but also kind of apologizing because there's some stigma to, to this sort of interaction when what clearly we needed was to have that interaction yeah. um, it made us feel good because we got to chat it modeled for my daughter that it's good to talk to people um, which is very important to me and it hopefully helped the guy a little bit 
We'll have more with Joe Kahane about the power of strangers after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. launching a book club. We'll pick a book once a month for you to read with us and you can post your reflections on Twitter using the hashtag readwithforum. This month it's the novel Preparatory Notes for Future Masterpieces by Maceo Montoya, who will join us on July 22nd to discuss the book and answer your questions. To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqbd.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, Find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at KQBD Forum, and you can follow me at MKIM Reporter. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how to talk to strangers and why it's good for us with Joe Kahane, a journalist and author. The new book is The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World. And you, our listeners, are joining us with your reflections on the importance of talking to strangers and why it's good for us. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Again, 866-733-6786. Our email address, forum at kqed.org. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can also tell us about a memorable, memorable time when you connected with a stranger. And I should also note that Joe Kahane will be at the Commonwealth Club on Wednesday, July 21st at 3 p.m. Let me go straight to a call. Let's go to Ron in Ventura. Hi, Ron. Hi, how are you today? Great. Thanks for joining us. Good. What's on your mind, Ron? Would you like uh, I love to talk to strangers. And when I'm in the airport flying someplace, whether it's in the security line or some other line, I always turn to a person near me, sometimes more than once, and say, where are you flying to today? I've never had anybody who didn't want to talk. Huh. They love to talk, and it makes me feel good. And just one other comment, my brother, who's much more outgoing than I am because he was in sales, has a quotation. I think it's his own. He says, a friend is only one stranger away. Well, that is a lovely reflection. And you sound pretty outgoing yourself, Ron. So thanks for calling. Yeah. <laughs> um, this listener writes, I have social anxiety. I enjoy talking to strangers and have no problem with it. I can also easily interact with those closest to me, but I have a hard time with folks in the middle, those I already know but am not yet close enough to. Pete tweets, we are always connected and sharing our experience with those around us, whether we start a conversation or not. If one is present, why not acknowledge it? It's good to treat everybody like a long-lost friend. Huh. One of the things I like about what Pete is saying there, uh, Joe Kahane, is that it felt a little bit like this is great for extroverts, for example, right? Like if you're really comfortable going out and striking up conversations at the airport, like Ron is, for example. But it sounds like what Pete is saying is that engaging with a stranger doesn't necessarily have to be a conversation, does it? No, uh, the, the term that psychologists use are minimal social interactions. And this is just like, 
waving to someone, smiling to someone, saying, good morning, I hope you have a good day, like passing interactions, quick little interactions. You don't have to sit at a bench for three hours and tell your life story. Um, there are a lot of benefits to those little interactions, um, particularly if you like listen to the person's answer. You know, you're not doing the thing where you go up to a cashier and you're just like, how are you doing? And they're like, good, how are you? And you're like, fine. And then you walk away. You actually have to think, you actually have to care. You have to be open to like what they say and you have to maybe share a little bit about yourself. But yeah, they don't, they don't need to be um, really involving. They don't have to involve a tremendous amount of energy or time or anything like that to be beneficial to you. Um, to the point of, um, you know, I've been giving a lot of thought to introverts versus extroverts because a lot of people do have this idea that this is just for extroverts, right? Because the way we understand extroverts is that they're just social butterflies and they're having these interactions all the time. And they're energized I actually by think, it, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're energized by it. Yeah, that's the big thing. Um, but two things. Number one, a lot of the researchers I spoke to who advocate for this and who have studied, who have found benefits in the research, um, but also activists who try to get people to do this, the majority of them identified as introverts. Um, and so they understood that they really wanted to have these interactions, but they often needed to find ways like structured ways to have them. So you would know where to start and you would know how to end, you know, those are two anxieties that people have, but there's also like a secret, you know, I always say it like this. It's easier for an extrovert to start a conversation. It's easier for an introvert to have a good conversation. Um, and this is a generalization, but, but like, what is an introvert generally good at? They're, they may not be good about approaching someone, but they tend to be, and I'm, you know, I'm clearly generalizing, but they tend to be better listeners. <clears throat> they tend to be more self-effacing. They tend to not be the type of person who's going to sit there tapping their foot for five seconds, waiting for you to say something that's going to give them a cue to talk about themselves, right? So there's like, you know, there's, there's good stuff and bad stuff about introversion and extroversion. But mm -hmm. I feel like both sides could really teach each other. I, I feel like extroverts could teach introverts about initiating conversations and introverts could, could teach extroverts about actually having them. Um, because so much of like what is involved in being good at talking to strangers is not about talking. It's about noticing and it's about listening. Well, Joel writes, being from a small town in the Midwest, I love small talk and speaking with strangers. Unfortunately, in the age of social media and political polarization, I find conversations quickly turning to controversial issues. It's become a personal challenge for me to better handle these conversations and overcome the fear. Huh, Joel's comment resonates with me. I have to say, you know, my own sense of safety has diminished quite a bit more in the last year and a half as an Asian American woman. And, you know, engaging with a stranger in many ways has to be like a calculated leap of faith. I, I do see it in some ways as a leap of faith, Joe Kahane. Oh, yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, and I fully, I fully understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> his point about small talk is great because small talk is a way to initiate an interaction um, that demonstrates that you're both sane and no one is a threat to anyone else. You know, like people make fun of small talk as being boring, but what they don't get is that it's not about the content of the conversation. It's about getting comfortable in each other's presence. So when we become so neurotic about politics that we lead with the most inflammatory confrontational thing we can lead with, that it makes connection impossible. And if you don't connect as humans, you're not going to have a very interesting political argument either. You're just going to be yelling past each other. So that small talk, you know, trying to reintroduce that small, small talk and understanding, you know, the importance of it in terms of bonding people together so that they might have a better conversation um, is really critical. I think we need to, we need to be conscious about reintroducing that to a certain degree. Hmm. Um, well, I, I feel like people have, have kind of lost the ability to have conversations in that structured way that has worked for humans for a long time. I mean, to your point, Mina, about feeling unsafe, um, you know, it's a it's going to be a much more complicated thing for you than it is for me. 
um, as a straight white man in America, like there are layers of complications that other people might experience that I don't. So I have to be mindful of not generalizing my own interactions in this way. But, um, but you know, of course, I would, I would, I would trust you to, to find a, a I don't say trust you to find it. I would say, you know, find the right place to do it so that you might feel safe. So like a public place where there are lots of people around is a good way to do it. Um, Well-lit places, you know, those sorts of things. A, a lot of people talk about finding those spots to help enhance the feeling of safety um, when they have these interactions. What have you found works as a way to strike up conversations or to engage with strangers? I'm curious what your go-tos are out there. Yeah, there's a genius idea from, um, there's a woman named Georgie Nightingale, who I took a class with in London, and she's a communications expert. She teaches a class in learning to talk to strangers, because um, she's seen the benefits. She's also an introvert, and she understands this too, but she has a lot of really brilliant tips on how to initiate these, and my favorite one um, pertains to this idea of scripts. So, you know, earlier I said we have these kind of nothing interactions with like a people, person at a cash register where we say, how you doing? They say, fine. We say, we're fine too. And, but no information is being exchanged and there's no real connection. It's just kind of signaling that we're in each other's company and it would be weird if we didn't say anything. Um, Georgie's idea is that you, you deviate from those scripts. You break those scripts. And the way you break the script is with some sort of specificity. So if she's getting coffee, and the barista says, how are you doing today? Instead of just saying, fine, how are you doing? Georgie will say, I'm an eight out of 10. And then she'll say, how are you doing? And so what does that do? It kind of breaks the script a little bit. It draws his attention because now he's aware that this is like something else is happening here. You know, she's being specific. And also she's modeling the way this conversation is going to go. And most likely the other person will give themselves a numerical rating as well. So he might say, well, probably about a six out of 10. And then Georgie will say, well, what will it take you to get to a, to a nine today? And so they'll say, well, maybe I'm visiting my grandmother and she hasn't been feeling well or something like that. And then you're off to the races. Now you've, you've gotten a little glimmer of what their life is like. They've shared a little bit, you've shared a little bit, and you can actually talk. Now, if you're in line at a store, you have to be very mindful of everyone's time. But stuff like that works incredibly well. Uh, just being specific, when someone asks you how you are, answer the question. Um, and then ask them how they are and care. <laughs> you know, And you'll be amazed what, what, what you hear when you do that. And care. Well, let me go to caller Peter in Florida. Hi, Peter. Hi, I'm getting such insights by listening to this because what an obstacle vision is, because you see people's appearances, you see their race, because I'm blind. And what I now I'm getting some such insights of why I can I can meet someone. And uh, like, I mean, I've got so many stories about this, like I could be standing on a, a street corner and someone says, excuse me, do you need help? And I'm like, yeah, can we go for a walk? grab their arm, walk for them. I mean, this woman, her name was Jackie. But I mean, the second time I met her, she's like, I love you. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. But not only that, she said, she said, you make it so easy for me to feel appreciated. And then I said, tell the rest of the world, you know, <laughs> because I think because what I realize is that that those barriers of being judged and what do I look like and whatever. I mean, there was another time on crossing a, a subway platform where this woman saw me I mean, she came up and says, excuse me, you need help? Again, take the arm, get to the other side, sit down on the train. I didn't realize people don't talk on the trains because they're taking out their smartphones and they're mm. self-isolating. And I just remember by the time we got off, she's like, it was such a pleasure to ride with you. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it is. You well, know? Those are so, lovely uh, stories, sort of way I'm Peter. Saying, 
Huh? Yeah. So I'm like, thank you. You make it you make it so pleasurable for me to meet strangers by by just like judging each other visually. You know, you don't know what you're missing, but you make it better for me. Oh, well, Peter, thank you for sharing those experiences. I'm so glad to hear that you've had so many positive ones. Um, let me go to Lori in Redwood City next. Hi, Lori. Thanks for waiting. Thanks for taking my call. Um I, I grew up with a father who taught communications and was a radio personality hmm. and ended up being somewhat the mayor of any, unofficially, of any town that he lived in. So for a child, it was embarrassing. But as an adult, <laughs> um, I'm finding that, you know, I, I miss that about him. He could talk to anybody. And I'm sometimes going to restaurants which have communal tables and that's actually been so much more enjoyable to sit with complete strangers and not even wait for your reservation or make a reservation because the communal table is something unexpected. You don't know who you'll be sitting with and you're all enjoying the food that you want to enjoy at these places. And I, I sometimes have to pinch myself and say, you know, Oh my God, you're sounding just like him, but (laughs) you know, he really did enjoy people so much. And I think that was a trait that he did pass on for sure. Well, Laurie, thanks. And it's it's a good tip, too, Joe Kahane, as a natural way to be in an environment that's conducive to striking up conversations with strangers. Yeah, food has is, is, is always been a big part of social interaction for humans. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the communal table, too. There's, I wish I could remember the name of it, but there's a restaurant in Nashville that I had one of the greatest meals of my life at because it was a table with, like, um, myself, my wife, there were like a few tech people. There were some missionaries there. It's just a really diverse group of people. And we were literally, you know, we're eye to eye. We're sitting next to each other. We have something to focus on, which is the food. And we had a really profound conversation, you know, across all these boundaries that, you know, I'm like a liberal New Yorker. So talking to Southern missionaries is not something that happens to me often, but we could, we found we could talk. And we learned a lot about people, other people's experiences and other people's lives. And it was, it was enormously beneficial. So yeah, stuff like that is, that's a great place to practice this for sure. I love that. And my, my parents, by the way, are the same too. They talk to everybody. So I got to see that growing up too. <laughs> We're talking with journalist and author Joe Kahane. His new book is The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, Michelle has another way to do it. Michelle writes, I missed strangers so much when the pandemic began that I sought out ways to continue to connect with strangers. It led to a project I call Current Occupant, in which I wrote a letter to the current occupant of each of my former residences. I included a drawing of my memory of the apartment or home and a story about something I recalled about living in the place. Whoa. Joe Kahane, what's your reaction to that? I wonder if that struck up some pen pal relationships. Oh, I, I think that's brilliant. I love it. I love it. I mean, it must have been such, you know, getting at a time when everyone's in quarantine and you're stuck in your hidey holes for like months at a time to get a little note like that out of nowhere, just from the ether, uh, must have been so moving to people um, and, and intimate and and kind of shows like a, like a, a sense of continuity, you know, connectedness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also just like a really witty idea. I think I love that. That's great. Yeah. Cool idea, Michelle. Let me go to caller Trey in Albany. Hi, Trey. Hi. So I wanted to say I talk to people on BART a lot, and I think that there's an art to talking to strangers. And so what I do is, you know, I'll be standing there or sitting there and I'll say a little something, you know, like about the weather or about how crowded BART is or something and judge the person's reaction. 
And if it looks like they want to continue the conversation, then I will. But if they just kind of grunt or don't respond, then I know that they're not interested in talking. So I'll just let it go. But I think, you know, you have to you have to understand what the state of the person is who you want to talk to before you can have a conversation with them. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I like the idea of thinking of it as an art. Um, well, this listener writes, my mother's dog died in May of 2020, leaving her isolated during the early months of pandemic. In the fall, she had health issues, leaving her further isolated, and I watched her mental health decline. She sees no reason to walk and talk to others now. The dog was the reason to talk to others. Huh. Any thoughts on on this listener's reflection about the listener's mother? Yeah, I mean it's it's heartbreaking. It's awful. Dogs are actually a really really good way to beat people, as anyone who has a dog can tell you, because um, it's an immediate commonality. <clears throat> and people who love dogs see other people who love dogs, and they think that this is a safe person to talk to, and we'll have something to talk about, which is our dog. So for especially for older people who are going to be more prone to isolation and loneliness, having a dog is really really important. Um, it can definitely keep you attached to the world. It gives you access to those minimal social interactions that keep you healthy. But, um, but I, I know an earlier call called about this too with, with um, his father and he was saying that he just has like little chats with everyone all day long. Um, you know, that's a really good approach too. If, if Penny's mother would be open to that, or maybe if Penny could go out with her and, and just start getting into that habit, um, it would be really beneficial because yeah, loneliness is, is just an absolute killer. It has mental and physical effects. It's, it's catastrophic when it gets profound. Is there a case for solitude, though? I mean, are, are we, have we also almost stigmatized loneliness to the point where, where it also compounds people's unhappiness? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's also, we, we, don't, we use those, those terms interchangeably, and they're not interchangeable. Solitude, for me, would be <clears throat> a time to be alone with your thoughts, a time to recharge your batteries. If you're an introvert, you certainly need solitude just to kind of recover from having interactions because they can be sort of taxing. You know, they can be beneficial, but they tire you out in the way that they don't for extroverts. Um, loneliness is, is different. Loneliness is, is not necessarily chosen, right? You can choose solitude. Loneliness is a condition. Um, that occurs when there's just not, you don't have many options for interacting with other people. Um, and it's, and you feel that something is missing. Like certainly some people can just live alone forever and they're fine with it. Uh, and that's their personalities. But, but I would define loneliness as like a condition that happens um, not by choice that has really uh, deleterious effects on someone's well-being. Well, Jesse tweets, I deal with clinical depression. One of the best things I can do for myself is leave the house and interact with strangers. It can change my entire day for the better. I'm sure you can imagine how this pandemic has affected my mental health. I'm so grateful for vaccinations. And Jesse brings us back to, I guess, this moment that we're in. And uh, so, Joe Kahane, just leave us with how you feel like we should approach this moment when the world is reopening. There are still, of course, some dangers on the horizon. But what do you think this moment demands? I think we are, and I, I tend to be optimistic, but I think we're in a position to have a social renaissance. I think we have gotten a really brutal um, sense of what life was going to be like if we didn't change the way that we interacted with the world. And now we have the benefit of all this research that tells us that this is really beneficial, that talking to strangers, you know, helps us deal with things like loneliness. You know, it can even help you help us deal with things like prejudice, political polarization, all these things. Um, I think we need to recommit to being curious about one another, interacting with one another in good faith and in the spirit of curiosity. And I think um, if enough people do that, it'll, it'll go a long way toward um, addressing a lot of our really intractable social problems. Well, Joe Kahane, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mina. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Joe Kahane's book is The Power of Strangers, 
the benefits of connecting in a suspicious world. Thanks to Caroline Smith and Susan Britton for producing today's segments. And also Forum is produced by Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Grace One, Susan Britton is lead producer for the 10 Hour. Our acting senior editor is Judy Campbell. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard. And our intern is Kimia Akbari. I'm Mina Kim. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.